Anybody signing up for our next crusade? You know, I'm, I don't want to, I really don't want to poke fun at that. But um, you got to admire the courage and the conviction. But boy, can you see Jesus do that? I can't. Honestly, it makes me want to cry. I just can't see Jesus doing that. Great examples of effectively sharing Jesus' love with the world. Great examples of how to follow him. I came across a guy like that once. I, um, I admit I'm a South Carolina Gamecock fan. I, I might have mentioned that before. That's a football team, South Carolina, University of South Carolina. And a few years ago when we lived in South Carolina, I went to the Georgia game at Athens in Georgia. Very hostile environment. And, uh, and uh, we walked up to the stadium, a couple of friends of mine and me. And there was a guy standing on a box just yelling at people. Just yelling. I didn't know what the context was and what he was talking about. But it was kind of like these two guys, just yelling at people that they were going to hell. And since Georgia is the bulldogs, he told them, you're all like dogs returning to your vomit. And then, I mean, it was, and then I, as I got closer and I listened to him and he, he spat out some Bible verses here and there. And my heart just sank. And I think, man, what, what kind of damage is, is this man doing to the reputation of Jesus right now? And so I walked up to him, and uh, once I got his attention, and I said, hey, I'm just wondering what you're trying to accomplish here. And he started yelling at me, and, and I said, no, no, tell me, what, what are you tr- thinking you're accomplishing right now for Jesus? And he looked at me, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. I was almost afraid to say it. <laughs> and uh, actually, my name is Christian, I said, no. And... <laughs> And he looked, he saw I was wearing a Gamecocks t-shirt. That's really their name, by the way, the fighting Gamecocks. But he looked around, you going to that game? I said, yeah, I was almost more afraid to say that than that I was a Christian. And he started just yelling at me, you brood of vipers and you're like dogs returning to your, their vomit. And he was, he was trying to get people to come and follow Jesus. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So today we're talking about the adventure of reaching out. The adventure of reaching out with our faith. You know, in in Christian circles, in evangelical circles, we often refer to that process as evangelism. It's a very, very churchy word. And I want to tell you a little bit about how that word for me became became like a short four-letter word that started with an E. When, When I heard that word... I'm just going to refer to it as the E word from now on. I, I literally had allergic reactions. And, and all of a sudden, I would just try to look for the nearest exit and, and, and see how far can I get from this place. See, I grew up in a, in a fairly conservative Christian family with parents who loved Jesus and they took us to church. The church that we were going to at, at a specific time um, would do these, uh, these door-to-door evangelism events where we would all get together well, most of them, not me anymore, on Saturday mornings, and we would go to a neighborhood, and we'd have these tracks, you know, and, and we'd go door to door, and we'll ring the bell, and we'll talk to people, and, and hand out tracks, and, and I just, that was not my thing. It was not my thing. Part of that was, was the lame excuses and, and fears that I had, but it just was not my thing. And one event that really led to me feeling that way was when I was in, in Bible school in, in England. 
Um, I went to England for half a year to, to study abroad or two. To catch, uh, yeah. So I went to England to, to a Bible school. And uh, we had one guy on staff that he was Dutch, so I should have known this was trouble. His name was Johan. And he just had an incredible heart to talk to people about his faith. And he had a great way of doing it, too. I mean, just, just great personality, very charismatic. And he would just, just sit in a cafe, with, just sit down with strangers. And, and within minutes, he would talk about his faith, and they would gladly listen. It was amazing. So one Saturday morning, he uh, came, up, came up to me and said, Christian, we're going to Lancaster this morning. And the school was like out in the middle of nowhere in the boonies in England in the Lake District. And Lancaster was the nearest McDonald's. All right? So I hear, what, you're going to Lancaster? I can get a ride? I'm in. He said, great. So we go to Lancaster. I'm thinking this is a McDonald's run. <laughs> and so I get into the van and there's like 15 other people in this van with guitars. I'm like, that's bizarre. <laughs> Taking a guitar to McDonald's, but all right. So we, we get to Lancaster, and, and Lancaster had this pedestrian area downtown you know, with all the shops. And so we're walking along, and then all of a sudden, they, they stop, and they form a circle, the, these guys, the other students, and, and whip out one of those little whiteboards and, and their guitars. And I was like, oh, 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 I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. They're about to start singing, and, and, and we're going to talk about our faith here in public. And so I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to just stand in the back, sing a little, and then run to McDonald's. <laughs> so we start singing, and then sang a few songs, and it was very awkward. And, uh, and then Johan got up, the, the professor from the school. And, and there was a decent crowd gathering right now. I don't know if it was because of the, the high quality or the lack of quality of our singing, but there were quite a few people standing around watching us. And then without warning, he goes... Well, thank you guys for stopping here, and, uh, and Christian's going to share a little bit about his life with you now. <laughs> so I'm standing there in the back, looking, where's McDonald's? Okay, no. <laughs> and then he goes again, yeah, and Christian is going to share a little bit with you from, about his life. And so this time I heard it, and I was like, well, lots of Christians here, a bunch of us. And then he turns around, looks at me, and says, you, and he called me out, <laughs> unprepared, in front of these people to, to share my faith, which wasn't existent yet at the time. I had gone to Bible school to, to reach out for God, to get some answers, and here he, he called me out in front of people, thinking this would be a very educational experience, which it was. It taught me to stay away from this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, um, and it really, it, he had great intentions, and, and he didn't know what was going on in my heart, but I stood there sharing something that wasn't real. And it was a horrible, horrible experience and, uh, and really scarred me for quite a while. And I don't know what your experience is with sharing your faith or with other people sharing your, their faith with you. Maybe you've come across guys like the two gentlemen that we had on the screen. Maybe, maybe somebody else has really forced their views on you in the past and it's, it's just kind of taking you back and, and was uncomfortable. There's all kinds of reactions to and connotations connected to this word evangelism. And I want to tell you what we're not talking about this morning. What we're not talking about is winning an argument with anybody. We're not talking about convincing anybody of, of anything, of what you believe or I believe. We're definitely not talking about 
throwing Bibles at people and hitting them over the head. And for every question they have, the, the fitting Bible verse, bam! And, and here's another one. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being arrogant know-it-alls and just having a quick answer for everything. Because we don't. What I want to talk about this morning with you is a command that Jesus gave his followers. A command that Jesus gave to the 12, well by that point, 11, that, that had followed him for three years. And this is what he said to them in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. We call it the Great Commission in church terms. The Great Commission. This is what he told them. The last thing he told them before he left them, before he left this earth. He said this, Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make Christians of <laughs> all nations. See, because the term Christian has so many connotations, right? What, what, what is a Christian? And a lot, a lot of us, a lot of people throughout history have really misrepresented Christ under that label. So I love what he says. He says, make disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. So what he's telling them is go and help other people know what it means to follow me. Go and, and tell people in all the nations what it means to follow me. And then in another passage in John 20, 21, he says this to the disciples. And this, this is valid for you and for me today. He says, as the Father has sent me, as my Father in heaven has sent me, Jesus, I am sending you. What he's saying is God sent me on a mission to earth to reveal God's love to his people. And just as God had sent Jesus, now Jesus says to disciples in the same way, I'm sending you. You are now on a mission from God himself to share his love with all of creation. That is the adventure we're supposed to be on. A mission from God Almighty to share his love with the world. And that's the adventure of reaching out that we're going to talk about this morning. And in the first part this morning, I'm going to talk to those of you primarily that, that would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. There's, there's different stages you know, where we can be a, a brand new follower of Jesus and maybe not know much yet. And then you can be a follower of Jesus, maybe like me, who's followed Jesus for, for a few years and still doesn't know very much. And, and then there's, so there's different stages. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have decided, I will follow him for the rest of my life, the first part of this message this morning is going to be for you. But I do know that we have a significant number of people here who, who would honestly say, and that's all right, I'm not dead. I'm, I have not yet decided to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm still looking. I'm still searching. And I just ask you to bear with me a little bit this morning. I, I will get to you. I will get to you and address what this can mean for you this morning. But first of all, I want to talk to you, those of you that follow Jesus, and I want to talk about the adventure of reaching out with your faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to reach out to others with your faith? And the first question that I asked myself in preparing for today was, why, why don't I do that more often? And why don't we do that more often? If you're anything like me, then you have fears. Fears connected with, with sharing your faith with other people. Maybe one of the fears is, what am I going to say? 
I don't know what to say. I'm not eloquent. I don't know what words to use and how to explain. What am I going to say? Another one, and this was always and still is one for me, is what are they going to think of me? Are they going to make fun of me? No, the fear of being ridiculed for it. It's still a very real fear for me. And then there's the fear of, of offending people. I don't want to offend anybody. And we, we live in a, in a time where, boy, it's so touchy, isn't it? I mean, you, you can barely say anything and, and not get sued. And, and people getting offended. And, and I mean, it's, it's becoming really, really difficult. Another fear that, that I have had, and that was especially true in Europe, because um, Germans aren't, aren't as open as you guys are. Germans are, are a lot more private than, than Americans are, in general at least. And so faith is incredibly personal. People in Germany always say there's two things you don't talk about, money and faith. And in that order, <laughs> that's the importance. So, so faith, faith is incredibly personal. And so there's the fear of, am I, am I crossing a line here of, of in, in, invading someone's privacy? So those are all fears that keep us. We're not politically correct in talking about such personal things. So there's fears that keep me from doing that more. And then there is excuses that we have and come up with. And the thing that I found with some of these excuses is they sound incredibly spiritual. One of them is, well, I'll let my actions speak for themselves. And if that's, if that's what you think and say, then I, I want to ask you, has that worked for you? Has that really worked for you? Just by living your life as an example, have you had opportunities to share Jesus with people? Have you had people talk to you about your faith just by observing you? I, I hope that's true for some, but reality has shown me that that doesn't often work. But it's, it sounds like a very spiritual reason not to go out and, and, and actively talk to somebody. There's a quote that in my research I've actually found is probably a drastic misquote of Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi. He, he said once, allegedly, always preach the gospel and when necessary use words which I found in my research is probably not a quote from him at all, but it's one of those, those spiritual excuses we use. Well, I'm just, I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm just going to live it. And as I read the New Testament and read what Jesus tells us and what Paul tells us about our responsibility as a follower of Jesus, that's not good enough. It's just not good enough if it ends there. The next question I ask myself is, why should we do it? So I know what I'm not supposed to do. I know why I'm not doing it. But why should I? Why should I go out and share with people about my faith? Again, not, not to win an argument. It's not about me versus somebody else. It's not, can I speak eloquently enough and can I be convincing enough for somebody to buy into this? That is not the point. It's also not, a just, not just a question of obligation. Oh, okay, I've talked to three people this week about my personal faith in Jesus as my Savior. Check mark, got that done. I'm done for the week. It's not, an oblig- it's not a checklist. What seems very, very clear in observing Jesus' life and then reading the New Testament and what the writers tell us about the motivation to reach out with our faith 
is always, always, always love. It's always love. Love for Jesus and love for the people around us. And as I've studied for this and reflected back on my own story with Jesus and how he reached out to me, how he changed my life, it was again so overwhelming the sense of love of receiving love for him and my loving response for him is that I was thinking, how can I keep these fears and excuses? Keep me from sharing with people that God brings in my life and expressing my love to them by sharing with them what Jesus has done in my life. How can I? You know, you see at sports events and on sometimes on Tim Tebow's masky things here, John 3.16, and then people have no idea what it means, and they just slap some other name in front of that, you know, and think they're, they're funny. You know what John 3.16 says? It gives us the su- a summary of God's plan for you and me. It summarizes the whole New Testament and why he did what he did. It says, for God so loved the world, so loved every one of you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that all that believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. All that God did and all that Jesus did was motivated by God's love for you and me. And so everything we do for him needs to be motivated and flow out of the love that we have received from him and our love in response to him. So the question is, do we love Jesus enough to talk about what he means to us? Do we love Jesus enough? I, I tell you, I use my wife always as, a, as a illustrations. When, when I met my wife and I fell in love with her, if you'd been around me for any time, you would have heard about her. I guarantee you. And I, I hope that today, if you spend any more than five minutes with me, I hope you hear me talk about her. Because I love her. With all my heart. We just had our 14th anniversary last Friday. Yes. And I tell you, honestly, I think I love her more than I've ever loved her. And because of that, and because of the love that I receive from her, I will talk to you about her. And I will tell you how awesome she is. So do we love Jesus enough to naturally talk about him and talk, talk about what he means to us and what he's done in my life? I tell you, I would not be the man I am today if it wasn't for my wife. The way she, she speaks into my life, the way she challenges me and encourages me is in part has shaped me who I am. And how much more has Jesus' love and his influence in my life shaped me? How can I not talk about him? How can we not talk about him? So do we love Jesus enough to talk about what, he's, what he means to us, to others? And then the next question is, do we love the people around us enough? To tell them what Jesus has done in our lives. Do we love the people around us enough to talk about him? Here's another quote. Another thing that Jesus said. Excuse me. About, about what, it, what he wants from us. In Acts 1 verse 8. He says this. 
He says this to the disciples before he leaves them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I find it really interesting that he starts out by saying, you will receive. First of all, you will receive. He says, you will receive power. One of the biggest issues of, one of my biggest fears has always been, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. And that. We don't need to. Because he will equip us. He specifically says, for the purpose. Can we put that back up? For the purpose of you telling others about me, I will equip you. I will give you the power and the strength that you need to do that. And then, can we put it back up? The, the Acts 1, 8, 1 verse 8, please. Then he goes on and says, And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will be. It, there's, there's a certain degree of certainty there. It doesn't say, well, once you receive the Holy Spirit, then, then maybe when you feel like it and, and you have a good day, uh, you, you might go and, and talk about what Jesus means to you. He says, you will be my witnesses. It's going to be a natural consequence of you starting to follow me and receiving the Holy Spirit into your life. You will talk about it. And what will we talk about? You will be my witnesses. The word witness... In, in the Webster, is is described or explained like this. It's an attestation of a fact or event. It's somebody who has personal knowledge of something and talks about it. So what he's saying is, us being witnesses means that we talk about what we have experienced. That we attest to an event that has taken place in our life. In an event that we have personal knowledge of, personal experiential knowledge of. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you what I have experienced with Jesus. I've shared with you before, I've grown up in a Christian home. Both of my parents love Jesus with all their heart. And, you know, I grew up going to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, Sunday school, church, youth group later on. And I knew everything I needed to know pretty much. I thought I had all the right answers to things. And, and I never really questioned the existence of God. I can never remember really questioning that God existed. But what I came to question as I grew older and was, would I, would I believe all this? Would I really you know, go to church and, and so on if I hadn't grown up with parents that believed that? You know, if some stranger had walked up to me on the street and I knew nothing and he would tell me about Jesus, and I, would I buy into that? And so I, I went through this really healthy process of, of deciding for myself, do I, do I really believe this? Do I, do I really want to follow Jesus? And again, in that whole process, I never questioned God's existence. That was always very clear to me. What became really difficult for me is, can I do this? Can I live this? And see, I knew it was real because I observed my parents. My father was an incredible example for me of what it meant to live with Jesus. And in his life, I saw that it was reality. I mean, he would talk about Jesus on a daily basis and his relationship with him as if Jesus stood right there. As if he was a real person that he had a relationship with, that he talked to, that he heard from, and that he followed, and who who led and provided and comforted and gave him peace and, and grace and freedom. And, and to me, it was always abstract. It was, uh, to me, my it, it was always determined by what I do and don't do and, and guilt. And, but I saw my dad and thought, John, that's what I want. And, and I see it's possible. So when I was younger, at some point, I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. 
I wanted to go to heaven. And see, there was my problem. My problem was Christianity only had relevance after I would die. And that's why the life thing didn't work for me with him. I thought, okay, when, I, when I'm dead. And it lost relevance. And that's why I decided to go to a six-month Bible school. And I, I literally said, God, I'm going to give you six months. You help me figure this out. Otherwise, I'm out of here. <laughs> literally. said, I know you're real, but if I can't do it, I'm turning schizophrenic. I'm out of here. So, and within a couple of weeks, shortly after that disastrous evangelism event there in Lancaster, one of the speakers spoke on, on that very fact that you see people who have this real relationship with Jesus. And you see and you know it's real, but you're not quite there. And he challenged us, said, if that's your case, then maybe all you're waiting for is to die. <laughs> then you haven't surrendered the, your life here and now to Jesus. Because he says, when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's not life after death. Eternal life starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus. And then you live with him to the fullest through the rest of this life. And then with him in his presence. And for the first time I realized, man, this is supposed to happen now. <laughs> this isn't just for when after I die. And I said, okay, if that's what it takes. And I sat down that afternoon under a tree by a beautiful lake. And I said, Jesus, I realize I have not surrendered my life to you. I've just been waiting to someday live with you and just trying to, to meet a, a list of demands and do's and don'ts while I'm here. And I couldn't do it. And I, I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to reign. I want to experience walking with you daily in this life now. And it was like a burden was lifted off my shoulders. The burdens of guilt, of inadequacy, of not measuring up to God's standard was lifted off my shoulders. And I've been walking with him ever since, up, ups and downs, highs and lows. But I can't tell you the freedom and the peace and the grace that I've experienced in walking with him since then. That's my testimony. That's my witnessing to what Jesus has done, what I have experienced with him. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. And you know what? You don't need a theology degree to do that. All you need is a story. All you need is your story with Jesus. And all you need to do is tell that story. So why should we talk about our faith? Hopefully because it's important to you. Hopefully because you're passionate about it. And you're convicted of what Jesus has done in your life. You know who is a great example to me in that? Mac users. Do we have any Mac users here? Okay. If I come down now, is anyone of you willing to, in, in like a minute and a half, tell me precisely why you're using a Mac and not a PC? Okay. Where's my mic? I was supposed to have a mic. I'm going to use this. All right, just come out to the aisle. Matt, come on. Come on. All right, but precise. I know you can be wordy. Um, now I'm just... All right, hold this. Can we use this? Okay, a minute and a half. Tell me why are you using a Mac and not a PC? Security. So Macs are much more secure than PCs. U.S. Army uses them as servers. A little more passion, please. <laughs> Ease of use. They're wonderful. They're great. They're lovely. They don't crash. They, um, let's see, they have really cool software, easy to use. You can learn how to use it in seconds. Anybody can do it. Okay, great. Now, how, how has your experience changed from a PC to a Mac? 
from a PC. You, you used to use a PC before, maybe? Not willingly. Not willingly. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. So when you had to, how was that experience? Uh, it was very frustrating. I was very slow. Um, okay, great. Thank you. It out. Thank you very much. Give it up for Matt. So if you're PC users, you've probably come across some really obnoxious Mac users, haven't you? And what makes them so obnoxious, and I'm one of them, is they just can't shut up about it. Can they now? I mean, seriously. I, I was a devout PC user. And you know why I switched three years ago? Because of people like Matt that just would not shut up about it. I had a co-worker. She was kind of my mentor. His name is Art Melly, And I know he's going to watch this message later. Art, thanks for converting me to Max. He would just not, not in a very appropriate way, he would just say, Christian, man, oh, you took your computer in again? Oh, it crashed. Oh, hmm. did you update your virus software? Oh, okay. Yeah, and he would just keep telling me about Macs and how great they are and how secure and intuitive and, and great to use and stable. And eventually I was like, okay, just quit. Stop it. I get it. I get it. And then that combined with my frustrations with using my Dell from for it, the frustrations of crashing and viruses and oh, I just said okay I've had enough enough and I went and got my Mac and I've never looked back um, and that rhymes so but the main thing was for me in this was hearing hearing people's experiences and, of, and the difference that it made for them now I, this isn't an ad for Macs although if you have questions come see me afterwards but the, the key for me was hearing about it Hearing about it from different people and hearing their testimonies of, of how great this was. Had I not heard that, I probably would have never switched. And this is what Romans 10 verse 14 says about that principle as it relates to our faith. It says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Or let's just say, talking to them. How can somebody believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? Romans 10.17 says this, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And you might be the mouthpiece of that. You might be who God wants to use. Actually, not just might, you are who God wants to use. To tell about it. One time, a few years ago, I was traveling for, for the ministry I was in. And I was on a plane ride from the U.S. back to Germany. And I said in economy, uh, emergency exit, which was sweet. So I sit there. And uh, you know how you always have to walk through first class to get to where you're sitting? And it's kind of herded through there like cattle. And they're already sipping their champagne and looking at you with pitiful eyes, you know. So I sat down back then, and all of a sudden, somebody walked down the aisle that just by looking at me, I knew, oh, he doesn't belong in the economy. That was very, very clear. He doesn't belong with us more mere mortals back here. But he, he walked down with his leather case and sat down right next to me. And uh, we started having a conversation, and he told me right, very quickly that he really didn't belong there. He, he just booked the, booked the day in advance, and he just couldn't get a first-class seat anymore. And how horrible. He said, so, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> um, and uh, by the way, one time I got an upgrade. Now I know why they closed those curtains. <laughs> Tell you. Anyway, so 
we're having this conversation, and he had just taken an early retirement from a, a large company in the U.S. that you would all know. You would all know the name of this company. And he was on his way to Germany um, to meet up with two or three buddies, renting Ferraris and Porsches and racing the Autobahn through Europe. Well, Germany and then Europe. Slow down once they cross the border. But So he was telling me about this, how they do this, and his wife was on, at the same time on a cruise for two months somewhere in the Mediterranean, and... They hadn't vacationed together in years because different interests. And so we're talking, and, and he's telling me all the things he's trying to do to kind of find meaning in life. And lo and behold, I was just finishing reading the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And I had it there with me, and, and he asked me about it, the title, and I told him about it. And he asked me what I do, and I told him and that I, I'm in a ministry and, you know, and talk to people about what it means to, to live with Jesus. And anyway, I talked about him about the book, and all of a sudden he looked at me and said, you know what? Here I am traveling all over the world, and I'm, I think he was in his late 50s, and here you are in your early 30s, and you've already found what I'm looking for. And then he said, you know what? I've lived next to a Christian, a church-going Christian, for the last 20 years, and not once have they told me what you just told me. And let me just tell you, I've missed lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. So it's not that I'm better than anybody else. God just put me in a spot where I had a book where I just couldn't get out of that situation. And, uh, and so I had an opportunity to, to talk to him about what Jesus did and how I found purpose. And he had lived next to somebody who said he lived that and not once talked to him. And that's this passage. He couldn't know. He couldn't believe because he couldn't know because he hadn't heard because nobody had told him. And I guarantee you, there's people in your life, in, in your work, maybe in your family, in your neighborhood, who will not believe because they won't hear because you're not telling them and I'm not telling them. And are we willing to continue in that cycle? So I just asked earlier, who is a Mac user? I want to ask, and don't, don't, you don't need to raise your hands or stand up, but who's a Christ follower in here? Who in here follows Jesus? Who in here says, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus? I'm going to come down again with the mic. No, don't bolt for the door. <laughs> stay, stay in your seat. I just want you to think about this. In your own heart, think about, okay, if I were to come down now, and I know some of you are followers of Jesus, and I were to come with the mic and shove it in your face, and say, please, in a minute and a half, share with me what Jesus means to you. And do it with passion and conviction. As Matt was ready to do at the drop of a hat about the computer. Could we do that about Jesus? And what he means to us? And why you follow him? Could you tell me in a minute and a half, with that kind of compassion and readiness... <laughs> why you have decided to follow Jesus and what difference that has made in your life. Now, I, I don't want you walking out here, Whoa, I'm horrible, I can't do that. Don't, let's not beat ourselves up. But if you sit there and say, dude, I couldn't, then let's do something about that. Because it's what Jesus wants us to do. Let's take a self-assessment, assess yourself, and let's do something about it. Because Peter says this, in Peter 3.15, says the following. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
for the reason for the hope that you have, or to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me say that again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always, everyone. That's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? There's not a lot of room for, ah, sorry, wasn't ready. Always and everyone. And that's what I was just talking about. Could you do that? Could you right now tell me this is the reason why I have hope? This is the hope that Jesus gives me. And you know, it said, be prepared. To me, that implies initiative. That, that implies a, 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 a getting ready, an active preparation. It doesn't just happen. So I want to encourage you. If you feel like you're not ready, even this afternoon, this week sometime, grab a, grab a piece of paper and a pen and just start writing it down. Write down your testimony, to use a churchy term. Write down what would be your witness. What would you say? What have you experienced? What's your first-hand experiential knowledge of Jesus? What he means to you? What difference does he make in your life? Write it down. Get prepared. Because if, if, I, if I come back to the, you know, the early excuses of I'm just going to live my life, if we really live our lives in, a, in that way, where we really act out God's love to people around us, there will be questions. And then are we ready? Are we ready to answer those questions? And it doesn't mean we have to have an, an answer to every question out there. You know, I don't, and we don't need to, but we sure should be able to talk about the hope that Jesus gave you. What I love about this verse is that it doesn't end there. But we as followers of Jesus often end this verse here. And this is what comes right after this. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Boy, do we often miss that. Those two gentlemen early on, I, I, I don't know if they've ever read this verse. It wasn't gentle. It wasn't with a lot of respect. Do that with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect means re respecting where other people are. And, and being humble. Not pretending like we have all the answers. Being humble to say, you know what? I don't know what to say about that, but, but I can't tell you what Jesus has done in my life. So I want to just summarize a few guidelines for us of how can we do this in an appropriate way, in a way that honors the command that Jesus gives us. And as you leave today, um, our, our greeters will have a, a little sheet of paper for you um, that I want you to take home. It lists six different personality styles of how we can appropriately share our faith with people. Because the number one guideline I can give you is be real. Be real. Be yourself. Be who God made you to be. And use the gifts that he's given you. There's so many cookie-cutter approaches to this. Well, you uh, do share Bible verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then by that time, uh, somebody should fall on their knees and repent. And, you know, and, this is, and this is the only way to do it, and this is how you should. Man, there's good and helpful things out there, but you are you, and God made you you. 
And so there's, there's different personality styles of, of how we can go about this. So I'm just quickly going to go over these. There's the direct style. There's people that can be and have a gift to be very direct and, and assess a situation and know what needs to be said. Very direct style. Peter did that in Acts 2. There's the second one that's totally not me. It's the intellectual style. There's people who just, who, they have brains, and they, they know things, and they know philosophy. Paul is a great example of that in Acts chapter 17, talking to the philosophers in Athens, and he knew, he, he read all of their stuff. He was quoting their poets to make his points, and, and the intellectual style, some of you all are, are that, I know, and it must be hard listening to me, but use the intellect that God has given you. Then there's the, the testimonial style. It's kind of what, what I've been talking about. Talk about what God's done in your life. The blind man in John 9 is like that. They, he got, Jesus healed him and they asked him, what's going on? Who did this and why? And on the Sabbath, and he says, I don't know, but I know one thing. I was blind and now I see. And he did it. <laughs> and he talked about what he had experienced. An interpersonal style is an example of, of a guy called Matthew in Luke chapter 5 just throwing a party because he had met Jesus and he wanted his friends to meet Jesus and he just invites them all to his house and says, you got to meet this guy. Some of us have the gift of hospitality that can be, can be utilized. The invitational style, those are people that are very convicting. And the, the Samaritan woman, after she had met Jesus, she went back to her, to her village and said, you guys, you have got to meet this guy. You've got to hear what he's done in his life. And people that are very, very relational and persuasive. And then there's the serving style. Those of you guys that, that love our Compassion Outreach, who love going to, to, um, to Pioneer Park and, and use the gift that God's given you to, to serve others and see needs and meet them. It's another style. So don't, don't feel like you need to be, be pressed into some kind of mold and this is the way to do it. So really want to encourage you, get, take this home and just look over them and, and even and pray about God, who have you made me? How can I appropriately and, and in a way that's consistent with who you've made me and the gifts that I have how can I appropriately share my faith with other people? So be yourself, be real. And then do share your personal story. You have one. Share it, but it, sometimes it takes some preparing. So be prepared. Peter tells us, be prepared. And then Peter also tells us to be humble. That's the biggest turnoff, I tell you. If we come across as arrogant know-it-alls, be humble about it. And then pray. Pray that God would lead you to the right people, that he would give you the words to say. So the adventure of reaching out with our faith, and I, I promise I'll make the rest short. Now, I want to talk to those of you that don't know Jesus yet personally, who, who would say, I'm not, I'm not following Jesus yet, but I'm, I'm interested. That's why I'm here, and I'm assuming that's why you're here. You're checking this out and you're interested in spiritual things. Maybe you're searching for God and for meaning in life. And you know what? Then you're also of an adventure of reaching out. You're of an adventure of reaching out for faith, reaching out for God. And I want to go back to 1 Peter 3.15. Let's put that up again real quick. All right, so be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. And if you are still reaching out for God... I want to encourage you, ask. 
Ask us. Ask us the questions that you have. Ask us about the hope that we have. Ask us about our experience with Jesus and the difference he has made in our lives. And ask the person that invited you to come here. Ask any of us that are up here on stage. Ask our people out in the lobby. They actually have ask me signs. Ask them. And I want to tell you, we want to be a church in a community where it is safe for you to reach out for God. To be on that journey. To question, to doubt, and to ask. But ask. And I just, I couldn't be more excited about you being here and, and, and hopefully being part of your journey of seeking God for your life. And I can guarantee you one thing because the Bible guarantees it. That if you reach out for God, if you seek him and you want to find him and you reach out for him, he will reach out for you and he will grab you by the hand and he will take you on the adventure that he made you for. And I just want to encourage you, if, you're, if you are here this morning and you felt like I did when I was a teenager and the way I felt about being a PC user, frustrated, didn't work the way I wanted it to, And I came to the point where I realized, you know what? I can't do this. I need to make some changes. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. And I tell you, that move, that transition from not following Jesus to following Jesus was a lot better and more impactful than my transition from a PC to a Mac. But if you feel about your life that way, if you feel God tugging at your heart this morning, I want to encourage you, do not ignore him. Do not ignore his his touch on your heart this morning. Because I know that he wants to give you new life. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you freedom. And he wants to give you peace. And if you're reaching out for that, I, I want to encourage you not to wait another second. But to this morning, to come to him and surrender. And start living that adventure with him. And I want to pray right now. And if you want to do that this morning, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus and start making that transition from reaching out for him to walking with him and being on this adventure with him, I just want to pray right now and I want to encourage you to, to just follow along and pray with me. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to come to you this morning. And acknowledge that I've tried to live my life without you. I want to ask you for forgiveness. Thank you that you died for my sins. That you paid the price. And I want to thank you that you didn't stay in that grave. But that you rose again. That you are alive. And that you want to give me life today. And today I want to surrender my life to you and to your control. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life and be on this adventure with you. Amen. The band can, can come up now. If you've, if you've just prayed this with me, I, I just really want to meet you. Um, if you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you surrendered your heart to Jesus this morning, I... I would just love to have a conversation with you and, and know who you are and see how we can, how we can uh, walk with you from here on out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, 
but you haven't really talked to people about your faith, then I have to tell you, you're missing a major part of the adventure that God has you on. You're missing a major part of the mission that he has sent you on. So I just want to repeat John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I know that's often not easy. It takes love and it takes faith and it takes courage. But if it didn't, it wouldn't be an adventure.